This is not the case within the church at times. There are internal problems within brothers and sisters that threaten the work within the body of Christ. And so obviously Satan will use sinning and deceive brethren or make believers, those within, to attack, to discourage, to distract, to pull us away from the work that God would have us doing. Welcome to this Friday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. And Greg, today's message gives us a lot of review of the past several broadcasts. Yes, it does, Dave, but it is super important that we see this passage in its right context. So turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 5. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, today's message is one you'll want to share with a friend. Just tell them to visit etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. They'll find today's broadcast as well as a host of other archived broadcasts waiting there for them. Our web address, again, is simply etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, when you want to do what is right in the Lord, when you want to serve Him, you want to obey Him, and you want to do what's right, you're going to find that you're going to enter into opposition. Now, we know we have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. And Satan and his minions are continually opposing God and his people, and thus his work. We know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against that enemy. And yet within that, Satan uses people to come against, to thwart, to try to shake up, to stop the work of God. Whether it's in your family, God's work, raising your children righteously, whether it's at work, doing your work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Whether it's in all that you do, trying to do it for the glory of God, or whether it's in church, the body of Christ serving him. Satan wants to stop that, and he will use those who do not know him to oppose the work. We've certainly seen that in the book of Nehemiah, the outright opposition of those who went against the Lord and thus his people and his work. But yet sometimes what we don't expect is when that difficulty or those obstacles come from within. And we need to learn how to respond to situations within the body of Christ, within our families, within these contexts, of how to respond when the obstacles to doing what is right come from within. Well, that's what we're going to see today, how we can keep from being overcome by the enemy's attacks and learning to deal with threats from within. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter today, Nehemiah chapter 5. And you might remember in chapter 1 that Nehemiah has heard information concerning the Jews, concerning the walls of Jerusalem and the gates being burned with fire, the state, a very bad situation. Nehemiah was moved by that, chapter 1, to pray. He prayed for four months, and it became apparent that the Lord was going to use him to help this situation And within that, he trusted the Lord, he prayed, and what the Lord put on his heart, and he went before the king, because Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. The Lord had put him in a place for such a time as this. And within that, we saw that in these impossible situations, we need to trust the Lord. We need to pray, we need to recognize his superiority over things and apply God's word to the circumstances And he waited on the Lord, and he was walking with the Lord. And then when the time came, he was ready to wisely and respectfully make his requests 
of the king of Persia. And so we have this request in which he makes of Artaxerxes to go help the Jews. And he wisely does so, and Artaxerxes allows him to leave, and he also requested for letters that he might be able to pass through the territories, and also for a letter to the king's forest keeper, so that he could get the wood that he needed to build. And so Nehemiah went on his way, and God granted those things, because the good hand, as Nehemiah said, of my God was upon me. And so Nehemiah was on his way to Jerusalem, the opposition began to form. We heard that Sanballat and Tobiah, they'd heard about him coming. And they were very angry that he would come to help the Jews. A great evil in their hearts, they felt. And then Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He was wise. He secretively, without telling anyone, within or without, what he was doing. And he went on and inspected the walls. And he did that. And then he encouraged the people to join in the work to build and repair the walls and the gates that were burned. And upon this, he testified of God's good hand being upon him through what the king had allowed him to do. And then we came to chapter 3, where we see Nehemiah gives an overview of how everyone worked together under his leadership with the right heart to build the wall and repair the gates. And you might remember that as you read through chapter 3, it's really an overview of the whole process. And then in chapters 4 and on, we have more specifics about how things were accomplished. And then in chapter 4, you might remember, we saw one of Satan's attacks and techniques was to use stinging words to cause the Lord's service to be discouraged and give up on the work. And yet Nehemiah prayed to the Lord that the Lord would rightly judge those who were doing that, who were discouraging the builders of what God was doing, God's work. And then later on in chapter 4, the last time we were together, we saw that another one of Satan's tactics was to bring about a full assault on Sanballat, Tobiah, and the nations were going to bring a sneak attack on them and kill them, and the word got out. And God graciously protected the Jews, protected them as the evil enemies conspired against them. He protected them, and they were told not to fear or be discouraged, but to fight and work, that God would fight for them. And they did the work with their shovels in one hand and their weapons in another, knowing that God would fight for them. And now we come to chapter 5, in which we gain more insight into the difficulties that arose within this time in which God was working through Nehemiah and the people to build the wall. And so let's read here chapter 5. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. And there were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses so that we might get grain because of the famine. And also there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet, behold, We are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry in these words, and I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, We, according to our own ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now 
Would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive gardens, and their houses, also a hundredth part of the money and of the grain and new wine and of the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back and require nothing from them. We would do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook out the front of my garment and said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. Let's stop right here and we will do the end of the portion after this. But let's take a look at this portion first. So then we've got problems. And they are unlike what we have seen so far in Nehemiah. We have internal problems threatening the work. And they are internal problems with the Jews. And is this not the case within the church at times? There are internal problems within brothers and sisters that threaten the work within the body of Christ. And so obviously Satan will use sinning and deceived brethren or make believers those within to attack, to discourage, to distract, to pull us away from the work that God would have us doing. And folks, nothing is new under the sun. Back at this time, the Jews were suffering because there was a famine, as we'll see. They had focused their attention on rebuilding the walls. They were working and doing that. And yet, as we'll see in this famine, they were having trouble financially. They were having trouble getting food. And their Jewish brothers were either not giving them food or they were giving it to them with interest or they were actually having them pledge or mortgage their houses and they were losing their places and having to put their children into bondage because they couldn't pay their debts. Terrible situation. And all this going on within what we had seen so far, the wall being built and even the external enemies. And now we see some internal trouble. So how do we deal with this internal trouble? Because internal trouble always has one commonality to it. It is sin. And we're going to see that we need to let leaders deal with sin. And we need to make that sin known when it is corporate, that the leaders can take care of it. Notice what happens here. In dire circumstances, we're going to see it's okay to cry out about the so-called brothers who are publicly sinning against you in this situation. We see this here. Indeed, the Jewish people who are being sinned against cried out about their Jewish brothers' sinful usury and subsequent enslavement. Again, verse 1, Now there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. They didn't have any food, Right? And there were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes, that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields, on our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers and our children, like their children. 
Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. There's some big stuff going on here within the inside, within the Jews. Remember, they had all come at one time, and there were certainly people who had been born to them within that time, but had come from the exile and had come back to, first of all, build the temple foundation to build that, to rebuild it, and then here to rebuild the walls and the gates. They had come back to serve the Lord. And we have internal problems here. So then this is a bad scene. This is a bad scene. Realize what's happening. There's famine. People need food. And apparently, as we will see, the wealthy Jewish nobles and rulers were lending food and money at interest, and they were foreclosing on people's property. They were enslaving, selling off, having to slave off their fellow family members to pay the debt. This is not good to have food, just to live. And so we have our passage. Now there was a great outcry, a great outcry from the people and their wives of their Jewish brothers. The term outcry is pretty clear. It speaks of a crying out, and it was a great outcry. And this is not good, and this is not Sanballat and Tobiah. This is not the nations, the Arabs, the Philistines, the Moabites. This is their brothers, Jewish brothers. They would be those who named the name of the Lord. It would be like in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, having these difficulties, and it's not good. Now, the nobles were of a higher class of wealth, obviously, and the rulers were those who had authority. But what links them both together is they obviously had enough money to endure the famine, but also to then loan it out at interest to their Jewish brothers and sisters. But why the outcry? First of all, notice verse 2. For there are those who said, we, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There was some hoarding of the grain. They weren't even able to get it. It seems like they weren't able to get it unless they were to do this deal and have interest on it and to mortgage things. There was an inability to get the grain. We can't get it. We can't get it. That's the first outcry. We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. We're going to die. I don't think any of us have ever had a situation where we were starving to the point where we were about to die and we needed food. Now, remember, this is at the same time that they are working together to build the wall, that 52 days. And so apparently the majority of the people didn't have grain because the rulers and nobles apparently were unwilling to give it to them or whatever it might be, maybe even sell it to them apart from the evil way they were doing. Notice in verse 3. And there were others who said, we are mortgaging or pledging is the word, mortgaging or pledging our fields, our vineyards, our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. We are so hungry, we're mortgaging our house to get food. Because of the famine, they were pledging their houses. That is a pledge there. We see that. Mortgaging is a pledge. And if you don't pay back, guess what? You lose your house. You don't pay back, you're in trouble. You mortgage your house, you don't pay it. It's someone else's, right? It's to the person you mortgaged it to, right? Notice verse 4. Also, there are those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields. They didn't have enough money. They borrowed money for the king's tax, and they're in trouble. And this all seems to relate to the fact that these nobles could have helped everyone, but they weren't helping them apart from doing it at interest, and apart from making a buck from them. 
and apart from, as we will see, very selfish attitude that reveals a lack of fear of God in relationship to their brothers and sisters. And then to top it off, notice verse 5, and now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like them. We are Jews. We're not the nations. We're not foreigners. We're Jews. And now it says, get behold. Take a look. We are forcing our sons, our daughters are to be slaves. Some of our daughters be forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards have become others. They lost their fields. They lost their vineyards. And they're still asking for the money that's owed. What else do they have to do? They have to sell in those who are able and capable of working, which are the young. They're in a deep, deep, difficult situation. So then here, there's a great outcry. And it's a righteous outcry because what these leaders and rulers were doing was sin. And it was obvious. It was corporate. It was corporate sin against those in the body of Christ. And you could see it. It was outright. And so we have a great outcry concerning the great sin in the camp. You know, God had made it clear concerning these things. God had made it clear how we are to love one another. We're to love God and love his people. Everything is summarized in that. In the law, you see, and you have to have a changed heart to do that. Turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you. You know, it's not just someone saying, hey, can I get a loan? I want to get a car or whatever it is. These are people who are poor and in need of money to eat. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to them. You shall not charge them interest. That's pretty clear. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25. Now we're going to see in Leviticus that when someone is using usury like this, it is an evidence they don't fear the Lord because they are unloving towards their brethren. They are self-centered towards self and aggrandizing themselves financially. Leviticus 25, verse 35. Now, in the case of a countryman of yours who becomes poor, now there are principles for us in the body of Christ too, as we read these Old Testament passages, okay? Becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him. How about that? You're to take care of him like a stranger or a sojourner that he might live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere or fear your God that your countryman may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. Mm, What's going on back in our passage, right? Certainly that's what's happening. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Now it's important to realize this is the land God promised, and they're actually taking away the land that was their inheritance. A lot of sin involved. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if a countryman of yours becomes poor with regard to you, that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. Oh, he says, he shall be with you as a hired hand, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until a year of jubilee. Every seven years, all the debts were cleared. He says here, he shall then go out from you. He is sons with him and shall go back to his family, that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. 
You shall not rule over him with severity, but you are to revere your God. Now, we saw here that they were having to sell themselves to the nations in slavery so they could pay off their debt. Later on, we're going to see that Nehemiah has been buying them out of the nations. And how ironic is that? I'm buying them out and you're selling them to them, right? We're going to see a total difference in attitude towards God's people. It has to do with you are to revere or fear your God. Our sin is based around a lack of fear of God. We need to fear God. God loves his people. And if you mess with his people, he's going to be on you. All right? Fear the Lord. How about Deuteronomy 23? This is a pretty clear principle in Scripture. And evidently, Nehemiah hadn't heard of it because he's outraged when he does hear about it. He hadn't known that this was going on, evidently. Because when he found out, he dealt with it right away. That's why you got to make things known, as we'll talk about that. Deuteronomy 23, verse 19. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen, interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Deuteronomy 24.10, I'll read this. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. You make a deal, you don't take his house's pledge. You don't say, great, I will loan you money, but you got to put your vineyard up. you got to put your house up. No, very wrong. So then here, we see it has to do with a fear of the Lord. And so Nehemiah is hearing this, and he is outraged of this great outcry. He's, we're going to see in a moment, he is very angry. Now this makes you think about something, these people doing this, and it's so contrary to God's word, where are their hearts at? Are they believers? Well, they name the name of the Lord. Later on, they're going to respond. But there's some passages that make us wonder about where someone is when they do certain things. Turn to Psalm 15. David's going to say, who is the one that's going to dwell on your holy hill? The people that don't do these things. Because they're changed, right? Because they believed in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, who was to come. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? who may dwell on a holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does he does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up an approach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest. Okay? He does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. He's implying that, hey, you know, if these guys, that's their character, something's really wrong. Because the ones who are gods don't do this. So we don't know where the hearts are of these lobels and these people. But we know what they're doing is like those who don't know Christ, right? Those who don't know the Lord. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel, this was just before, as they were being exiled to Babylon. This just of generations before, you know, probably about 170 years, 180 years, maybe 200 years from there, 70 plus the years that they'd been back. Now God was making it clear that these are the type of people He's going to judge. These are the ones that judgment is coming for. He's going to explain.
If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close today's broadcast, you talked about some important truths that many of us are uncomfortable with. Yes, Dave, it, it may be uncomfortable to realize, but as we've begun to see today, not only do we have opposition from the outside, sometimes it comes from the inside through so-called brethren. Well, we've just scratched the surface, so make plans to join us for our next broadcast of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you're receiving spiritual benefit from equipping the saints, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today? Every gift makes a difference. No gift is too small, and every dollar is put right back into the ministry. To send a gift to Equipping the Saints, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to donate online, our web address is etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. (laughs) 